The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus prayed, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from the one who sets us free, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. How long, O Lord? How many times must we gather as the people of God and weep in the wake of senseless and preventable tragedy? How many times must I stand in this pulpit and search for the words to speak into unspeakable loss? Nearly ten years ago, I stood here in the wake of the school shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, having only been your pastor for a few months. And I strained for the words of understanding, solace, purpose, hope, and resolve. And ten years later, we are here following the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, which came 10 days after a racially motivated mass shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo. According to Education Week, which tracks shootings on school properties, there have been 27 school shootings this year alone. There have been 119 shootings on school properties since 2018 when they began tracking such incidents. The highest numbers of shootings, 34, occurred last year, and there were 10 in 2020 and 24 each in 2019 and 2018. Notable among them was the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in 2018 in Parkland, Florida, that led to the creation of the March for Our Lives. There have been 213 mass shootings in the United States already this year. According to the CDC, the majority of deaths from gun violence are from suicide. In 2020, that was 54%, representing around uh, around 24,300 deaths in that year. Firearms are now the number one cause of death for children and teens. School shootings and gun violence are an epidemic and put us vastly out of step with the rest of the developed world. How does our faith speak to these realities? Where is God? What do the Scriptures say to us today? Our first reading this morning continues our journey through the book of Acts, 
As we trace the expansion of the gospel and the ministries of missionaries like Paul and Silas, who brought it to the larger Mediterranean world, and it follows the conversion of St. Lydia from last week. Most times in this passage, we focus on their prison experience and their miraculous escape. In fact, the subheading in my Bible above it reads, Paul and Silas in prison. However, we often skip over how they got there. What happened is that they encountered a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, which, as the author of Acts, Luke understood it, was a case of demon possession by an evil spirit, which required exorcism. The slave girl's owners exploited her condition and her suffering in order to turn a profit by having people pay them for her to tell their fortune. Even in that time, it would have been considered by many people as a form of charlatanism, driven by profit motive. Each time she sees Paul and Silas, the slave girl cries out, and it says that Paul became annoyed, which he often did. But the original Greek word indicates that he was also deeply disturbed by this. Paul orders the evil spirit to come out of her, and she is healed. However, the people there do not rejoice that she has been healed or restored to herself. Not at all. No, all her owners can see is that they have lost their ability to make money off of her. Now that her condition was gone, so were her potential earnings. So were their potential earnings. She had no value for them except for the profit that she could produce. So the owners accused Paul and Silas and dragged them before the local court to get compensation or revenge or maybe both. But the owners do not appeal to the court based on their lost income. They make an emotional appeal to the basic fear of foreigners and a suspicion about Jews and their customs, playing to the prejudices of the crowd. One biblical commentator says, The owners accuse Paul and Silas of disrupting the peace. They name them as Jews, cultural outsiders who are advocating customs that are unlawful for Romans. Oddly, economics comes nowhere into their argument. Acts 16 narrates a leveraging of cultural superiority and social fear for the preservation of an economic system that grounds the status quo. The torture beatings and social isolation of prison are powerful technologies in that mechanism. Paul and Silas are not imprisoned because they break a law. They are imprisoned because they are imprisonable people, vulnerable people, who threaten the bottom line of the powerful. And Paul and Silas are stripped, beaten, and jailed, and eventually freed through divine intervention. We don't hear about the slave girl again. This story of Paul, Silas, and the slave girl speaks to us about where we find ourselves as a society today, in the way in which we are too willing to sacrifice the well-being of our children on the altar of power, control, greed, and cowardice, not just in ways that subject them to gun violence, but to other kinds of violence as well. The owners of the slave girl not only did nothing to help her, but rather they exploited her suffering for their own gain, and others watched on as they did so. They did not help her because as a slave she was simply property to them, and because it was economically disadvantageous, it would have disrupted the status quo. 
I have long thought that our inability to take any meaningful actions after the shootings at Sandy Hook was when we as a nation lost our soul. You may pick other moments and have different examples, but following the horror of that tragedy, the heartbreak, and the value that we say we put on our children, to have done and accomplished nothing in these ten years is shameful. It is a sin. Following the Parkland shooting in 2018, my daughter Ellie and I attended the March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C. We traveled down with an interfaith contingent from Ambler in Upper Dublin, organized by Congregation Beth Orr. We were gathered there with thousands and thousands of people a couple blocks off of the stage as we heard the courageous Parkland students speaking their truth and heartbreak as the Capitol building loomed in the background. And I thought, now something will finally happen. But nothing did. Soon after that, Ellie and I went to Harrisburg and stood in the Capitol Rotunda with others asking for safety and change. And I thought, surely something will happen. And nothing has. This week I was listening to a podcast and the hosts were reflecting about how in the era in which they grew up, there were so many heroes who led the charge for human rights, civil rights, and the well-being of all peoples, though many of them were not considered heroes in their own time. And they wondered, where will our heroes come from now? Who is there to lead us? Who will be the clarion moral voice for us? It didn't dawn on them that they have a very popular podcast and could use that platform to help. But nevertheless, I think they were asking the wrong question. And that has been part of our problem. We are looking to someone else to make this go away, to do something, to make it better, to speak up, or to blame. But they are us. We are the ones that we have been waiting for. We feign powerlessness, but we underestimate the power of our voices and our bodies when we speak up and show up for the vulnerable, the hurting, the disenfranchised, and those in need. As MLK said, anyone can be great because everyone can serve. Out in the narthex, you'll find a handout with information about a march against gun violence on June 5th that's been organized by Ambler Interfaith. And on the back of that is a call sheet with phone numbers for all of our state and federal elected officials. And I encourage you to come to the march. I'll be there marching and helping out. And I encourage you to call. Usually you have to leave a message, but they are recorded and compiled. And I'm not suggesting what you should say. I'm just suggesting that we all have a moral responsibility in this. We all have different diagnoses of the problem, and we all have different ideas about solutions, and we probably need all of them. But we all agree that this is unacceptable, correct? So call and say what you think and what you feel. This is not me pushing you or us to be political. This is me saying that our sense of powerlessness and hopelessness that many feel around this issue is an illusion. It was the same illusion that Paul and Silas punctured in our story today. It is the illusion that those who benefit from the status quo, where our children and teachers are considered an acceptable sacrifice, want you to feel 
because you won't do anything because you don't think it'll do any good. It is a lie we are told and a lie we are often tempted to believe because it absolves us of responsibility and lays the blame elsewhere. It allows us to wash our hands of the situation. In fact, you are the most powerful people in our society because you are clear about your values, because you care deeply about your neighbors, because you participate in cultural institutions like this church, and because you follow the teachings and example of Jesus. You are the spiritual descendants of Martin Luther, who never hesitated to speak truth to power, whether it was to a pope, an emperor, or his prince. And I have to say this also because we are a largely white congregation of some means, and we are the people that people in power listen to. Sometimes we don't want to acknowledge that privilege because, again, it exempts us from our responsibilities. But we can use our voices to amplify the voices of others, the stories of others, the needs of others that often go unheard and unmet. You can be the voice for the voiceless and the vulnerable. You are not powerless. You are powerful. And anyone can call or text or email those in power to say, this is not okay and we don't want our kids and teachers to live this way. If we don't do something, say something, try something, we will remain complicit in this terrible sin, this blight, this horror. As St. Catherine of Siena once wrote, preach the truth as if you had a million voices. It is silence that kills the world. And remember what the Lorax told us. Unless someone like you cares an awful lot, it's not going to get better. It's not. For we know that God wants to break open the prisons that hold us and the chains that bind us the prisons of violence of all kinds, the chains of fear, dehumanization, and our captivity to lives which convince us that we have no power or agency. Like our story of Paul and Silas, God wants us to break out of our prisons that hold us and set us free to be safe and whole and loving and serving people of God. The Bible over and over again describes a vision for a world at peace. Isaiah 11 describes a peaceable kingdom. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with a kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den." They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Revelation 21 describes the culmination of all things, the vision of God. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And Micah 4 says, 
They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. They shall learn war no more, but they shall all sit under their own vine and their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. I want our world to know peace. I want teachers and school staff to be able to do their incredible work without threat and fear. I want our kids to flourish and teach us how to make a better world and make it a more beautiful place. I want people to be able to learn and grocery shop and worship and gather in peace and safety. I want our neighborhoods to be more of what God desires for us and for the flourishing of all peoples. But we cannot just want it. We have to work for it, for the world to be the place that God intends for us and for all. We all have the power to do something. Our children are depending on us. Amen.